Lord, we just thank you this evening. We thank you for those that are here and ask you to just bless this time as we look at the book of Numbers and, and that, you, that you provide for your people. And we just thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Numbers 31, starting at verse 1. And the Lord spoke unto Moses, saying, Avenge the children of Israel of the Midianites. Afterwards you shall be gathered unto your people. And Moses spoke unto the people, saying, Arm some of yourselves unto the war, and let them go up against the Midianites, and avenge the Lord of the Midian. Of every tribe a thousand throughout all the tribes of Israel shall you send to war. So they were delivered out of the thousands of Israel, a thousand of every tribe, twelve thousand armed for war. And Moses sent them to, be, to the war, a thousand of every tribe, them and Phinehas, the son of Eleazar the priest, to, to the war with the holy instruments and the trumpets to blow in, their, in his hands. And they warred against the Midianites as the Lord commanded Moses, and they slew all the males. And they slew the kings of Midian beside the rest of them that were slain, namely Ebi and Remkin and Zur and Hur and Reba, five kings of Midian, Midian. Balaam also, the son of Beor, they slew with the sword. So we're going to stop there for a moment. Uh, first off, we want to remember who the Midianites are. And if you think about this, the Midianites have had an interesting character. characters. They were the one that carried Joseph into slavery. Uh, Moses, when he ran away from Egypt, went to Midia and married the, the uh, Midianite girl. And, and his father-in-law was Midianite. They were kind of a nomadic, nomadic tribe. And what happened in, back in Numbers? Does anybody remember what happened in Numbers? The Amalekites did not let the Israelites go through, and he gathered the Midianite people, and he hired Balaam from Midia to curse them. And if you remember, what ended up happening is Balaam couldn't curse them, but he did tell the king of, Am Amorite, of the Amorites how to bring God's curse upon the people. And do you remember what he did, what he told them to do? Send in the girls. <laughs> Send in the girls and draw them into idolatry, mm. and so, and that brought the curse, brought the the bronze the bronze serpent that was lifted up because the snakes came in and were killing people, and we had all of that issue going on. We had the plague that the plague that went through and the twenty four thousand that died, and Phineas drove the spear through the couple that was being very bold, and when Moses said get rid of these girls. So all of that happened, and that's back a little, a couple chapters ago. Got rid of him, too. <laughs> yeah, him, too. So Moses, God's telling them, gather up the people and, and go to war against the Midianites. And he says, take 1,000 from each tribe. So there's going to be 12,000 people going to war against the Midianites. And he says they're going to deliver Israel. And so they were sent out. And Phineas went with, uh, with this army. Uh, and this is something that we see throughout, throughout Israel's time. The, the priests often go out with the army. Now, they don't usually go into the middle of the battle. Uh, but the singers in, in David's time, the singers went first, and then they would sing songs, and then they would hang back as the people went to war. But they led, they led out into battle. <laughs> Uh, onto the front. So this is an interesting, interesting thing that would happen. 
And we find out that there were five kings of Midian, Mid Midian kings that were destroyed. And it says that, the, that they went out and they killed all the males that went out to war. All the males that they came across. And so we have a, quite a battle going on here, and we're going to find out a lot of interesting things happened during this battle as well. Verse 9, And the children of Israel took all the women of Midian captives and their little ones, and took the spoil of their cattle and of their flocks and of their goods. And they burnt all the cities wherein they dwelt and all their goodly castles with fire. And they took all the spoil and all the prey, both the men and the beast. And they brought the captives and the prey and the spoil unto Moses and Eleazar the priest and unto the congregation of the children of Israel and to the camp at the plains of Joab, which are by Jordan and near Jericho. So you want to think about this. They take and get all the women and take them captive. Now, do you think this is a good idea? No. Moses didn't think it was a good idea either. <laughs> See, he got angry with them because they had forgotten about the plague that it hit because of these women. And we're going to find that, that Mo, uh, Moses is in agreement with everybody in this room that it was not a good idea. So, good for Moses. Good for Moses, yes. Uh, verse 13, And Moses and Eleazar the priest and all the princes of the congregation went forth to meet, with them, meet them without the camp. And Moses was angry with the officers of the host, with the captains over a thousand and the captains over a hundred, which came from the battle. And Moses said, Why have you saved all the women alive? Behold, these caused the children of Israel through the counsel of Balaam to commit trespass against the Lord in the matter of Peor. And there was a plague among the congregation of the Lord. So he immediately goes in and he reviews history. And this is a pattern we see, for the, especially for the Jews, but Moses keeps doing this. He keeps bringing up, this is what God has done. This is what happened when you were disobedient. This is what happened when you were obedient. He, re, he brings up the history of the rewards and, and penalties for obedience and disobedience. This is something we need to do as Christians. Not live in our past, but live in, in remembrance of when I disobeyed, God did this. When I obeyed, God did this. And we look at the consequences for our obedience and disobedience. And it's very important that we do this because otherwise, we as humans are forgetful. Just as these people are, we're forgetful. And we forget that when we do something bad, something, some discipline happens. And we see this all through the scriptures. We're going to see this in the book of Judges. They, they are going along good, then they start doing what's right in their own eyes and forget that ultimately it brings judgment. And usually judgment means captivity or, or oppression. And then they re repent and call upon God and God sends a deliverer. And then another 40 years later, they forget it all over and start the cycle all over again doing what's right in their own eyes. In the days of Noah, the people did what was right in their own eyes, only they didn't repent. And God sent great judgment upon them. We see it all through the books where the kings and kings of Israel and Judah rule. Some rule well, some rule don't rule well. The very thing that God told them was that the king, when they became king, was to handwrite out his own version, his own copy of the Pentateuch and read it every day. And we find out that many of them did not do that. Otherwise, they wouldn't have known all the things that they weren't supposed to do that they were doing. 
And so we see that they didn't do what they were told to do. And we see the consequences of the judgments that followed. We see Israel not giving the land its Sabbath rest every seven years and going into captivity for 70 years because of the, because of the 100 years, they, the 490 years that they didn't rest the land. And we see this over and over and over again. People forget what God says to, people forget what God says to remember and remember what God says to forget. And it happens over and over again that we do that. And God says, remember, remember, remember him, remember his blessings, remember the curse. And remember in Exodus when he first given out the law, and this is kind of interesting when people say they want to obey the laws and we have to obey the laws. Well, when God gave the people the law, God pronounced a curse. Blessed is everyone who keeps every word of this law, and cursed is he that, keep, that breaks any of these, doesn't keep the whole of the law. And so this is a situation where we have to be careful of. We're either wanting to be under grace, which is where we should be, or we want to be under law, where we shouldn't be. If we want to be under law, we need to be under every law and keep every law. And too many people want to have this kind of halfway. Well, I keep most of the law. Well, God says you have to keep all the law. So if you want to be obeying the law, get busy and keep all of it perfectly and never fail. Once you fail, you deserve, you deserve the curse. And yet, so many people want to have this halfway covering of the law. I, I, I want to live under the law. I want to, I want to do good things. Well, sorry, if you don't do it all, then you're going to be cursed. And we've got to be able to see this with people because it's something that people want. Our flesh likes the idea of being able to do good things and please God. Only problem is God says that no flesh will stand before him. And if you don't do it 100%, you failed all. And Jesus said if you fail in one, you fail in all as well. In the New Testament, he, he continued that idea. So when we meet people who are wanting to be bound under the law, then they need to be understanding. They've got to keep all of the law and they've got to keep it perfectly. No failures whatsoever. So we have Moses coming to the people and he says, what is this that you have done? These are the people that led us into a curse before and you bringing them in as your, as your conquest. And so he said to them here, in verse 17, now therefore kill every male among the little ones, so they, they kept all the boys, little boys alive, and kill every woman that has known man by laying with him, but all the women children that have not known man by laying with him, keep them alive for yourselves, and do you abide without the camp seven days. Whoever has killed any person, whosoever has touched any slain, purify yourself and your captives on the third day and on the seventh and pur purify all your raiment and all that is made of skins and all the work of goats and all the things that were made of wood. Okay, we, were, we went over this a couple chapters back to purification when you touch somebody dead, any dead thing, you had to wash yourself you, and then three days you washed yourself and on the seventh day you washed yourself and then you were able to come in. Now, what was special about the water you washed yourself? Does anybody remember what that special, what, what ashes did it have in it? The ashes of the red heifer. Red heifer, yeah. yeah. The red heifer was burnt, and they put those ashes in, and it was the water of purification. 
So he's telling them, and in this case, they went to Warsaw. Most of them had killed somebody. And then if you remember, the, the reward, we've talked about this, the reward of going to war was that you got to keep whatever, whatever gold, metals, uh, raiment, uh, uh, animals, whatever you found in the possession of the enemy became part of the booty and was you got to your share of that of that uh, money and that's how they earned their income. They weren't paid soldiers, they they got their money. So every one of these people had they'd gotten war had touched somebody dead to check the bodies and soldiers move bodies away. Kind of. Uh, except they're paid by somebody that's paying them to fight, not by, oh, by the big, the, the, yeah, those are mercenaries. So, but these right. ones are just going out and they're just, part of, the, part of it was that you got what, you know, got to keep whatever was, was there. And so they're to purify all their clothes, they're to purify their coats and all the things made of wood and all the, all the people that, are, that have been alive are, being, are to be washed and purified. Verse 21, And Eliezer the priest said unto the men of war which went into the battle, this is the ordinance of the law of the Lord commanded Moses. Only the gold and silver and brass and iron and tin and the lead, everything that, has, that may abide the fire, you shall make it go through the fire and it shall be clean. Nevertheless, it shall be purified with the water of separation. And all that abides not in the fire, you shall, shall go to, through the water. And you shall wash your clothes on the seventh day and you shall be clean. Afterwards, you shall come into the camp. So the ideal way of cleansing was to put it in the you know through in the fire and that means any metal was to go into the fire and most of the metals were not going to melt in those fires because to really melt metal you have to get the furnace burnt out you know burning and the, get the uh, anvil on it and you had to get the bellows going and really get it hot and that's not the kind of fire they were talking about here but if it couldn't withstand the fire it was just washed and again it was washed with the water of the cleansing the the water that had the ashes of the red heifer that had been blessed and had been consecrated. Verse 29, And the Lord spoke unto Moses, saying, Take the sum of the prey that was taken, both the men and the beasts, you and Eliezer the priest and the chief fathers of the congregation, and divide the prey into two parts between them that took the war upon them and went into battle and, and, and between the congregation. All right, so when they did with this, this whole booty that they took, they gathered it all, all, all of it up, and they split it into two parts. God always provided for the people who did not go to war as well, especially in this case where they weren't all supposed to go to war. They would only take a thousand people from each tribe, a total of twelve thousand. And if you remember, there's a couple hundred thousand men of war, so they're taking a very small portion of the congregation to fight this battle, and so. God said when that happens, when, when everybody doesn't go to war, you split the, the spoils between them. The lion's share goes to those who went, you know, half of it goes to the, to the ones who went to war, and they'll get to split it amongst a much smaller group, and the remaining half will be split amongst the rest of the congregation of Israel, so that those who stayed behind got blessed. David did the same thing when when just before he became king and his people have a bunch of his people were too tired to continue and he said okay you stand here and guard guard our guard our backs and they went in and and his david's men were going well they don't get any of this stuff it's all ours we did the fighting and he goes no david goes we share as a group just as god had said you shared as a group everybody had a part 
If it wasn't for those who stayed home, you might come home and find nothing there. And that's the battle we see a lot of times. It's the battle we saw in AI when, when they drew the men of AI out of the, out of the town by pretending that they were being beat and then they, went, they came in behind them, destroyed the town, and then killed all the men. Uh, and we see that, in, we saw that in the Amalekite uh, battle, they did the same thing. So the people staying behind are just as valuable to you as the ones who go out into the battle and God says they deserve to get something. They don't, they don't deserve to be, to be put off and not receive because of doing what's still important to you. And this is true even in the church for us. There's those who go out on the front line and do the battles and there's many in the church who kind of, they do the praying, they do the giving, they bring, they, they do the witnessing, the witnessing to individuals and draw people into church. And then there's those who are out doing a lot of the active work or the missionaries, the missionaries need people to support them. So it's very important and God's principle is everybody gets rewarded. Maybe not as much because they're doing the harder work so they get a little more reward than the ones who are behind the scenes, but behind the scenes gets the reward as well. And even in today's military, if a, if a unit earns a, a ribbon in combat, everybody all the way down the logistic chain gets the same badge and same, same uh, medal because they couldn't do their job if there weren't people all the way down the supply line ordering the supplies, awesome. delivering the supplies, taking the, the, taking the wounded out. Everybody in the same regiment. Oh, okay. All the way up the line. Not just the one battle group, but everybody all the way up the line gets the medal because it takes the entire, entire chain to be able to be successful. And God has said in this example, even the ones that stayed home are going to be rewarded. Not as much, but they get reward. And so we look at this, and we, we look at this, and it says, And levy a tribute upon the Lord, unto the Lord of the men of war which went out into battle. One soul in five hundred, both the people and of the beef, and of the donkeys and of the sheep, take it on their behalf and give it to Eliezer the priest for a heave offering to the Lord. So for the tribute for everybody who went to battle, one out of every 500 belonged to God. Okay, so when you counted up 500 sheep, one went to God. You counted up another 500 sheep, it went to God. Same thing with the people. Every, every at 500, God got one. And that was of those who went to battle and were being used. And this is a offering that's going to be made to God. And it's for the heave offering. And remember the heave is the up and down one which goes to God. It's the one that, that celebrates God, not the wave offering celebrating people. And those relationships. And of the children of Israel's half, so the other half, you shall take one portion of 50 of the people and of the beef, and of the donkey, and of the flocks, and all manner of beasts, and give it unto the Levites, which keep charge of the tabernacle of the Lord. So the ones that went out and risked their life, they only lost one in every 500. And of the ones that went to the, to the people who didn't risk so much, they lost one in, in 50. So we see a, a big difference, but again, they didn't earn anything, so there, there was a gift anyway. And this is a picture. When we get to heaven and we start getting the rewards for up there, we're going to be wanting to give some to God. And it's, it's very clear that we will. That we will honor God. 
the elders get, cast their crowns at Jesus' feet. We give praise to Jesus in heaven. And we're going to worship, and there's going to be commerce, and there's going to be the in and out flow of everything. And part of that is going to be us honoring God with what he's given us. And it's going to be a wonderful time. And here we see this example of those who didn't do anything. It's a gift of grace. This is a gift of grace to those who stayed behind, because most countries did not give anything to the ones who stayed behind. And God is saying, here's my grace and my righteousness. Even though you stay behind, you're going to get the reward. Now, if they called all the people out to battle and somebody didn't go, they're not going to get anything because they were, they were being a coward. And one of the things we were told in Exodus, some of the few things that were asked, when you went to war, the first thing they were asked, they said, is if you were afraid, go home. And most, most men stayed because they didn't want to be identified as being afraid, but some would, some would go for it, go, go. But again, they would have picked up the, as, as, as my wife said, you know, they would have picked up the title, they're a coward. Or they've been married, they have property, land. Well, if they, and if they had been married, yeah. in, they were in the first year of their marriage, they were sent home. Right, that's and if they had just built a home and hadn't even had a chance to live in it at all, they were sent home. Or oh, the vineyards were so fruiting. they were fruiting vineyards. They could go home. Well, they didn't go to war during that time anyway. You oh, got to remember. Oh, yeah. <laughs> they didn't go to war during harvest. That was not the time you went to war. Oh. The time of war back then was you planted your fields and you went to war. <laughs> oh, yeah. You came back to harvest your fields, and that was just the way it was because the people did not, the nations did not hold standing armies like we do today. So these people, the people who went to battle were farmers and merchants, and, and when you, plan, you got done planting your fields, you had, you, had a couple, you had a few months until your harvest was ready. You'd go, that was when the kings went to war. Wow. And when David had his affair with Bathsheba, the starting statement is, at the time that kings went to war, David stood upon, the, upon his, at, at the palace and looked down on Bathsheba. He wasn't where he was supposed to be. The king was supposed to be at war, and he wasn't where he was supposed to be, and he did something he shouldn't have done, which led to further sins of, of murder and, and, uh, and all of that. But it was all started because he wasn't where he was supposed to be at the season that the kings went to war. And yeah, there were a few, few places, you know, a few kings that, you know, that built empires and went to war all the time, and they stand standing armies. But the usual, especially in this day and age, was not a standing army. So there's not that mentality there. So, and so we're looking at this. They're getting 50 pieces, 50 out of, one out of 50, and it's for a heave offering. In verse 30, and the children of Israel's half, you shall take one portion of 50 of the person of the beef of the donkeys of the flocks and all manner of beasts and give them to the Levites, which shall keep charge of the tabernacle of the Lord. And Moses and Eliezer the priest did as the Lord commanded. And the booty being, a, being the rest of the prey which the men of war had caught was 670,500 sheep, just a few sheep, 72,000 beef, 61,000 donkeys, and 32,000 people in all of women that had not known men by laying with them. So this is a very large uh, bring home from 12,000 men going to battle. And we look at this, that there's 32,000 women who had not known men, which means that there were a lot more than that that they had brought in originally. 
Okay, so we had a large, this was quite a battle. And we're gonna look later on and see what, how big this battle really was. And the half which was apportioned to them that went out to war was numbered 300,000, sheep. The Lord's tribute of the sheep was 675 sheep. So the priest got six, uh, what was that? Uh, let me go back here. Was 175, uh, 675 sheep were given to the priests. Now that's quite a, quite a haul for the Levites, because remember, the Levites only are numbering you know, a few thousand, you know, 20 or 30, 50,000 people. So this is a large number of sheep that they're give, being given. And the beef were 36,000, and the Lord's tribute was 72. So here again, they're getting 72 beef. So this is, this is quite, and the donkeys, 30,500, which the Lord's tribute was, was 61. Mm. So they got 61 donkeys for the Levites. And, uh, and the people were 16,000, which the Lord's tribute was 32. And this is just of the part of, the, of what the people are getting from the ones that went to war. Okay? And, each, and we're going to look at, they're going to get 10 times these numbers from the ones who stayed at home. God provides for his people. And this is important for us to always remember. We're his children. He provides. He provided for his children, the people of Israel, and he provided for the Levites, which he said were his. And the Levites didn't go out to war. They stayed home and, and did the offerings and all of that, and yet they're going to get quite a, quite a blessing out of this, and God takes care of us. And this is something we've always got to remember. He's going to meet our needs. I was talking today with the with an individual, we were talking about when churches tithe, how, the, how they get blessed. Mm -hmm. And I've seen this in every church that has honored God by tithing to either a home church or a home association or to missionaries or whatever it might be. When a church tithes, God blesses the church. Yeah. And it happens all the time. And it's also a good example to the people in the church. And if the church won't tithe, why should the people tithe? You know, and that's really the attitude they're going to have. If, if, the trust if the church can't trust God as a whole, then why should we tell the people that, God, that they need to trust God? The church needs to be able to trust God with that same, that same offering or, or more. And so the people look and say, oh, the church, is, the church and the leaders in the church truly believe that God provides, and they're more inclined to give themselves. It's an example, and it's and it's it's a strong example, and you know it was one that we that I'd never really thought about, but because I've always thought about it just about the church being blessed because it gave, but it's also the the example to the people that the church believes in tithing, as a, as the leaders in the church believe in tithing, and the churches tithe, and then they tithe, and it works, and people see it, and it and it grows, and God provides just as He's doing for the Levites. Yeah, and out of this part, then, the Levites would then do their part, and the Levites would, share, would do their tenth to the priest, and the priest would do their tenth to God. And the principle has been shown to us in Numbers, where we see, and we saw that about a month ago, a month and a half ago, where that whole process was brought in. 
The people tithe to the Levites, the Levites tithe to the priest, the priest tithe to the high priest, the high priest tithe to God. And so each person got a little bit, and God got the best of the best if they followed what they were supposed to, because the people were supposed to give the best that they had. The Levites were supposed to give the best that they received in their tithe, and the priest was to tithe the best they had to the high priest, and then the high priest would give the best his tithe. Yeah, the to so God got the best of the best, or if everybody did what they were supposed to, and everybody got blessed in the process. So we see this here again in this example. God takes care of his people. He takes care of the Levites. He took care of the ones who stayed home. He takes care of the women and children that stayed home by giving them of the, of the spoils. And we see this great blessing that's coming to the people and all the way through and Everybody's blessed because God cares. When and we see this through the scriptures, Malachi says that you've been putting you've been putting your money in holes in bags with holes because you're not giving to God. Yeah. Now, and you picture that, and it really is true. And I truly believe that God will take His tithe, whether we give it to Him or not. He's going to take the tithe from us, and and we don't get blessed when He takes it from us. And it might be as simple as coming out and finding four flat tires on your car and you know costing you costing you 100 200 300 you know money that's burning a hole in their pocket yeah and we see like that god god takes it there's a hole in the bag it's just dripping out the money as you're trying to store it and yet when you honor god things last longer you find the deal on something and the money goes further and it's an amazing thing when you don't have enough money to get through the end of the month and yet you give God his share and you end up with just a little more money at the end of the month than what you, than the, than what you knew, you knew and you kind of go, and you look, or just right, and you look at it and go, God, I don't know how all the bills got paid. And God's saying, because you honored me. I honored you. And it might be in the little extra coming in, the special deals you find, the, the blessings that God gives, but we honor him. And he rewards us for our for our trust in him. And I'll hear people tell me, well, I just don't believe in tithing. I don't think God's going to make it. And I go, and you're going to trust God for eternity? It makes no sense. If I can't trust God for this world's items, how can I put my hope, truly put my hope in him for my future, my eternity, if I can't even trust him in today? And we, we want to be very careful about that and look at what we do. All right, let's see, verse 41. I think 41, yes. And Moses gave the tribute, which was the Lord's heave offering to Eliezer the priest, and the Lord, as the Lord commanded. And the children of Israel's half, which Moses divided of the men of, that, that, that warred, now the half that pertained unto the congregation was 300,000, 330,000, uh, 36,000 beef, 30,500 donkeys, and 16,000 people. Even the children of Israel's half, Moses took one portion of 50, both of men and of beasts, and gave them to the Levites, which kept charge of the tabernacle of the Lord. So again, they're getting 10 times as much as they got from the people that went to battle. And the officer, okay, so we see that, that whole, whole process. So where the Lord's tribute was, they got... Uh, Let's see, 675 sheep. They're going to get six, 67,000, 
6,000, what's the number? It'd be 10 times the number anyway. So 10 times, because it's 150 instead of 1 in 500. So they're going to get these verses, and you know, multiply those numbers by 10. And so they, they originally had gotten the, the 675 sheep, so they're going to get 6,750 sheep from the, from the people. So we're seeing a much larger number. You know, they were given 30,600 sheep, uh, 36,000 sheep, so it's going to be 360,000 sheep, uh, beef rather. So they're getting a large, I mean, just think about this. this. The Levites are getting really blessed out of this battle. God is providing for them. And we see this over and over that God provides. God keeps his people. He provides for them. Verse 38, and the officers, which were over the thousand of the host, and the captains of the thousands, and the captains of the hundreds came to Moses. So here's the leaders of the, of the military coming to him. And they said unto Moses, your servants have taken the sum of the men of war, which were under our charge, and there lacks not one man of us. They took 12,000 men into battle and came out with 12,000 men. Very unheard of to go into battle and not lose anybody any any lives, mm -hmm. and so this amaze this amazes the leaders. And okay, we went in. Nobody is dead. You, know, you can have an accidental death in battle. I mean, it's it, you know it's hard to imagine nobody dying in any of these in any of this battle. We have therefore brought an oblation unto the Lord. What's an oblation? We've covered this before. A gift. A gift or a sacrifice. Oblation to the Lord, what every man has got of jewels of gold, chains, bracelets, earring, rings, earrings, t tablets, to make an atonement for the soul of our life. And Moses and Eliezer the priest took the gold of them, even all that wrought with the jewels, and all the gold of the offering that they offered up to the Lord, and the captains of the thousand, the captains of hundred and sixteen thousand was 16,750 shekels. Okay, and the shekel, we, you know, this was a lot of gold and silver and jewels that they brought. Why did they bring it? Because God protected every one of them and kept their lives. And so they brought an offering to God out of their, out of their jewels and their gold. This is quite a, quite a feet with them. And this was not a commanded one. Remember, this was not commanded. This was a free will offering that the people decided God protected us. We're going to give him a gift. And this says a lot for the people that went into this battle, that they were godly men that went into battle. Because they recognized that this was a miracle of God and in that process decided to give God back. Give God back the reward for what he had given them. And this is a wonderful thing that we do. And we need to keep this in mind. When God blesses us special, we need to be willing to give him a special gift back. It's not a requirement. It's just the gift of love. And we see this often. I mean, when we truly love somebody, we usually are very generous to them. We want to give them gifts. We want to do good things for them. We want to make, thing, make their life easier. We don't want to sit there and make things hard on them. You know, we supposedly love them. <laughs> you know, and it's funny when I see, you know, I see married couples and they're bad, you know, badgering each other or 
backbiting each other and saying bad things behind behind the other's back or or doing things to make life difficult on their on their mate and you're going okay you're supposed to be one you're supposed to love one another and this is how you're acting toward this person I'd hate to see how you would act against somebody that you didn't like and you're supposed to love this person you know, and you hear these comments, you know, got to go home to the, to the battle axe, you know, the old ball and chain, whatever it might be that they say. And you're going, oh, you don't want to be with this person. And usually they go, oh, yeah, I do. Go, well, how can you say such things about, about them? It's very critical. What we say carries weight. It's so ingrained in our In, in our society. society, yeah. They don't think about it in some cases. Right. And... But it is one of those things where what you will say in jest usually has some grain of truth attached to it to begin with. You know, why do people make jokes about other people's expenses? Well, they see something, they exaggerate some deformity or some or defect in that person, and they exaggerate it. And why does it hurt that person? Because they, they know that there's a, even though it may be all in fun, supposedly, they know there's that grain of truth in there that they, that they see. And it's very critical that we keep our conversation good and edifying and building up because God is wanting us to do that. That's how God speaks to us. He speaks to us through grace and love and mercy and speaks great things. So think about how God talks about us. We are perfect. We know we're not perfect, but he's declared us perfect and he says that we are. He speaks love over us and, and edifies us, saying, you have, you're worthy of great, great things. You can do this. And we tend to want to respond to that kind of speech. If you want to change somebody, find something good about them and, and that's honest and, and talk that up with them. And then slowly you'll see them changing to become more like what you're, what you're expressing. And God says that we will respond we are built to be responders to his love. You know, his love will, will draw us out. And the same thing when we as husbands will speak kindly to our, to our wives and build them up. They will tend to respond to that kind of conversation. We want to want to get them angry and, and, do, and we'll not speak harsh to them and, and tell them they're not doing things and all this whatever else and, and we'll watch them withdraw. God speaks love. And and out of that love will be our gift back to him that says, just as these men, you protected us. Not one of us lost our life. We want to give this back to God. And so we're giving this gift. This, and this is the precious gift. This was the gold and silvers and jewels and all of that. This was the, the precious. The animals were one thing, but this is the precious thing. The animals will reproduce and have more animals and the gold doesn't reproduce. It doesn't, it doesn't sit there. You know, so this was quite a gift to say, we're going to give this to God. And the wonderful thing about this is you can never outgive God. And when we want to give to God, he will bless and he will honor that. He'll say, you trusted me? Here. Here's your reward. Oh, you trusted me? Here. Here's your reward. Oh, you trusted me? Here. Here's your reward. And his reward is always bigger than what we give. And it's amazing how he does this, how he blesses us in ways financially and relationshiply and, and through just the peace and everything. 
all of the ways that he blesses. It's not always financial blessings for the gifts. He gives us back enough to be able to cover what we've lost, but he also gives us just the peace the, and, the, and, the, and the, just the easy time and he, and he moves heaven and hell to, to get goodness brought our way. Doesn't mean we're gonna have un, untested lives. He still promises us tests. And we should never be surprised, and I've said this over and over, we should never be surprised when a test comes into our life. And when we've committed ourselves to give more than uh, the tithe or more than the tithe, don't be surprised when it comes along and there's bills looking out there that say, oh, we, I can't give because look at all those bills. God just say, do you trust me? Are you willing to keep trying and, and say, do you believe? And there's our test standing right there in front of us. God, I wanted to give you 80% of my income. And God will say, here's all the bills standing in front of you. Now, I would say, don't try to jump into 80% of your income. Grow into 80% of your income. Get there in steps. But I've, I've heard pastors talk about that they give God everything, all the income that they get from their job and, and watch God bless them from other sources. And I believe them. And it's going to be interesting to see how God will turn around and bless, how he will meet needs, how somebody will send a gift saying, I have this gift for you. Mm -hmm. and it's not for the church, it's for you because you, I, God has put it on my heart to bless you. Or God has said, I want to give you this. Or he sends a job, extra job to you to, get, to get, make ends meet. God will make the blessing when we honor him. But don't be foolish. I've seen don't be foolish. foolish with their money and, and they are, uh, put themselves dark. Yeah, and, and that's how a lot of people are, are tricked into giving, especially with a lot of televangelists. Give, give me your, your, your $1,000 and God will give you $10,000 in a month. You know, well, that's a lie because we don't know that he will or not. If God puts it on my heart to give $10,000, then I'll give $10,000, but if he doesn't put it on my heart... heart to see examples of people doing that, and I've seen people do that, and I know better to not to to go overhead, over yeah. my uh, budget, over my head, and, and drown myself. Yeah. But again, if God's yeah. the one telling you to do it, then do it. But if it's a man trying to twist your arm to do it, then it's probably not right. And I've seen, I've, I've actually seen churches take up a second offering because there wasn't enough money in the first offering. Yeah. And they'll go, we didn't get enough offering, we gotta take another offering. Well, that's not faith either. You know, that's the church not having faith. You know, they're teaching their people a certain certain thing about that too so yeah, I used to have a, they used to have a joke we never been to church where they didn't pass the plate around it's always passed late. now a second time they're going to pass a plate yeah. a second time that's not faith but the way we do it having a I like it with the box we don't know what it is now it's been abundant being more abundant and thought better than uh, yeah. having to eyeball who's doing what and, yep in verse 54 and Moses and Eliezer the priest took the gold of the captains of the thousands, the hundreds, and brought it into the tabernacle of the congregation for memorial to the children of Israel before the Lord. They were touched by it, so they brought it right into the tabernacle and made it a memorial, you know, a statement of this is what they have done, and they made it, they made it a, a something to remember. And this is something we need to do, this idea of setting up memorials. In other places it's called setting up the landmarks or the or the boundary markers. Remember what God has done for you. It's very important for us to remember what God has done because when Satan attacks us 
and says, God's never done anything, or it's been a long time since God's done something. We go back and say, well, God's done this, and he's done this, and he's done this, and he's done this in my life. And then we get into, well, this is also what he did in Moses' life, and Aaron's life, and Joseph's life, and David's life. But the most important one to us is going to be, what has he done in my life? Because that's the one, because Satan will come back, if you're using, this is what he did to the, to the biblical characters, or this is what he did to this missionary, Satan's going, yeah, but that was them, you're, you're not that important. So it's very important for us to have these places in our life where we look at and we remember, yes, God specially blessed me here, God specially blessed me here, God blessed me here, God blessed me here. So when Satan comes along and says, oh, well, you know, God doesn't do anything, you're going, uh-uh, you're a liar. You know, look at all these things he's done for me. And the other thing to always remember is in all these stories we read in the Bible, they take a long period of time. And the nine chapters we have of Abraham's life, it covers about 60 years of his life in nine chapters. We read it in nine chapters, and it makes it sound like, boy, Abraham, look how, look, how, look how exciting Abraham's life. God was always doing something with him. Well, you read his story pretty carefully, and there are you know, 10, 15 years in between each one of the stories, and we kind of forget that. We read the book of Acts. The book of Acts covers approximately 40 to 60 years, and it's... Saul spent, uh, Paul spends three, three to five years in this one place and it's covered in one, one to two chapters. And it's just one or two quick stories in that town and he's off to the next town. This and we kind of... Well, I don't mean to interrupt. How long did this take, this battle? This battle doesn't tell us. It might have taken a, more than a couple of days. <laughs> it seems to indicate one day, but I mean, it's, it, could be, it could have been longer. It looks like it, but having to divide up all this... Yeah, this could, be, this could be a period of time. We don't know. And that's kind of what I'm bringing out to us. I mean, we read the scriptures and go, wow, look how exciting their lives were. Well, two or three events, you know, back to Paul, two or three events in, in his entire time, you know, three to five years in a city, who knows what he did the rest of the time. It may have been just like us. We have one big event with God, and then we go a long time, and then we have another big event with God, and we go a long time, we have another big event with God, you know. We want to keep in mind time frames. And most of our life has never been as far spread apart as some of these biblical people's thousands lives were. Thousands of animals and thousands of people that divide up and all of the jewelry and just all that. It's, just t- it's very time consuming. It's not a 10 minute job. You know? It's an all day job just to count the animals. It, it sure is. So. And yet, I never thought about it, but it could have been. This could have been taken. I mean, they went out and fought a number of nomadic tribes, tribes people in the Midianites. They probably had to chase each one down, you know. So it, maybe it took a while. I don't know. Doesn't really tell us. And this is the point that I'm really trying to make here: is we don't know sometimes about how long things take to get accomplished, and we want to be careful when we go, "Well, God, you're not doing anything in my life like you did in Joseph's life or Daniel's life or." or Abraham's life. You know, Joseph was in prison for 13 years before he was finally promoted. You know, uh, Daniel, taken captive as a teenager, 70 years later, so he's in his 80s, it's time for the people to go back to Israel. You know, and, and we just read his story like, wow, you know, 
the first seven chapters are all about him and his story, and then the rest of it's all prophecy. And we look at that, you know, that took a, most of his lifetime in those chapters. And we read it like just, we can sit down and read it, and when, you know, especially those first ones, in just a couple hours and we're done, and it's like, wow, what, what an exciting life he lived. So we want to be very careful when we look at these people in the scriptures and say, this is what it was. This is an easy life. That, you know, look how God blessed him. It must have been really easy to, to, to follow God when, when all these exciting things that happen to you every time you turn around. And it's like, ah, they had many years where they just drudged along doing whatever it is that they were called to do on the routine of life. And yes, there might have been some excitement. They're pre preaching and witnessing and seeing salvations. But the big events were not constant. And we've got to remember this in our own life. The big events that we go through are not constant events. They're punctuations where we go to the mountainside, the mountaintop, and we get to enjoy God for a few minutes. And then we head back down in the valley and trudge along in just the doldrums of the day-to-day -day work. And then God gives us another quick mountaintop experience to regenerate us. And we don't we can't really live on the mountaintop anyway because if we're on the mountaintop we're not in relationship with the rest of the world because we're up here in the spiritual clouds and they're down there in the valley you know suffering we've got to go down in the valley with them and show the light of god and drudge along and and do the work and be a light and then god will give us another mountaintop experience to get us back energized and send us back down in, into the battlefront and it's the same thing even in today in the battle you go into battle and then every once in a while they'll rotate people out to go get some rest and relaxation behind the lines where they can truly rest and relax and then they go back out to the front while other people go back and rest and relax and the same thing that god does for us we're in a battle and every once in a while he says okay well, let me let me reward you we'll send you to some relaxing relaxing time and then he sends us back into the battle we're going to close in prayer it's a little early but we're going to close because i'm not going to try to start the next chapter Lord, we just thank you for this day. We thank you for the opportunity we've had to open your word. And we just thank you that you are a provider of, of all of our needs, physical, spiritual, emotional, not just the one physical needs that we want to concentrate on, but Lord, you provide for all of our needs and that you're a good God all the time and that you are powerful. And we just thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.